and so grateful and so powerful in his presence and wondering why he would love me the way he does. Uh, there's just a uh, the range of emotions of great of gratitude and um, being in awe. It uh, it just gets emotional. We had a lady come visit us one time, Mary, that was our boss years ago at a company that my wife and I worked for. She came to church, and as she was in church, it was a powerful service, and people were weeping, some were crying, many were worshiping the Lord, and. And she didn't know their story. She didn't know why people were worshiping the way they were. She didn't know anything about their background of what the Lord has done for them. And she left and she saw us at work Monday. And we were just like, wow, that was awesome. She was in a powerful service. She felt the presence of God. She said, I am never coming back to that church. You are the saddest people I've ever been around in my life. <laughs> she we, weren't, we weren't crying because we were sad. Don't, don't let the tears fool you. Um, you know, go to go to any any nursery, go to any uh, hospital in the maternity ward. Th those tears that they're seeing when they're looking at that baby is not, what have I done? Well, maybe if there's a few of those people, but what have I done? I mean, they may be thinking about the their life is about to change. There goes my truck. There goes my fishing. There goes my. They may be, but I think in most cases they're so overwhelmed looking through that big glass window. And looking at that newborn, they, they just, are they sad? No, I think they're just overwhelmed. And uh, I would say that if you're trying to process through what all this is about, uh, it's just an extreme emotion and range of emotion of gratitude and thankfulness and disbelief that God would choose some of us. It's easy to figure out why he would choose some of you because you're so gifted and talented and got so much going on. But there's some of us that really struggle with God. Why? Um, why me? Amen. This year, we started this year talking about the three major areas we're really going to try to key in on this year. And that is um, on our personal prayer, personal relational prayer secondly evangelism not necessarily in the order all these are important but second is prayer uh, first is prayer relational prayer not just praying for stuff not just praying for things but praying to be in his presence like that presence we just felt here and that 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 time with him in prayer would be more relational and then second would be evangelism personal evangelism that we would reach people and that we would we would be just as gracious as God has been to us that we would share that light and that salt with the world and that we would introduce them to Jesus and we would see our responsibility so we talked about that last week today I turn your attentions to Proverbs 21 and 2 every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord pondereth the hearts Every man is right in his own eyes. Jesus, I pray that you touch us today and you help us to process properly, Lord, as we look to your word and as you help us to 
establish some values in our life and some areas of importance and things that we will focus and spend our life on and spend ourself, our time, our effort, our energy, our money, our love, our emotions. Help us to spend those things wisely, Lord, and to prioritize our lives in an appropriate manner. We give you thanks today and pray for your help today to unlock something in the Spirit, to lead us and to guide us into what you would have us to do and what you'd have us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. Look to somebody near you. Let them know you're glad they're here today. And you can be seated. I think every one of us in the right situation could really justify any of your actions. You could justify being mean to somebody. You could justify giving money to somebody. You could justify not giving something to somebody. You could justify withholding something. Anything that we want to do, we could justify going into work late, or we could justify stealing from the company. You know, well, they didn't pay me for the few hours I worked over that one time, so I'm going to take some. You know, some some. I'm going to take this item home with me. Um, I've been so much for the company. I, there's so many things we could do to justify, and this, and this passage here in Proverbs shows us this, that, that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord pondereth the hearts, and so he kind of really knows the deeper things. And so the, for your consideration today, my title of this today is, What Do You Value? Look at your neighbor and say, What Do You Value? Definition of value is in regard to something that is held to deserve the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. You may say something like, your support is of great value, something that's worth something to somebody. It's a person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. So what is value? Well, the value of gold today is $2,031.80 per ounce. If you have an ounce, that's what it's worth. Today at Walmart, you can buy a gallon of water for $1.34. So which has more value to you? You'd probably say the gold, and that would be a reasonable answer. You could sell that one ounce and probably cover your mortgage, maybe go on a decent vacation, put a down payment on a car. Some of you might even logically discern that you could take that one bar of gold and sell it and buy 1,500 jugs of water at Walmart. However, values can be subjective. Depends on where you are in life. Your values could shift in certain situations. Certain pressures and stress of life can make you switch the value of something. There was a day where I would drive clear across Columbus when I was living on the west end of Columbus. There, there was a time that I would drive clear to the east side if I could save $5 on a car battery. Just because money, I needed to save a dollar. I needed to, I needed to try to save. It was so hard to come by. It was a minimum wage was three eighty. And so driving across town, gas was cheap. 
And so driving across town to save a few dollars was important to me. I'm 57 years old. I barely want to drive across the street to save five bucks. Time, I'm a dying man. I'm a man of destiny. Time's running out for me. Five dollars isn't as important to me as saving five minutes. i got to save some time. So, so time and money has shifted in my life. I had my whole life ahead of me. I still do have my whole life ahead of me. It's just shorter. Just not as much. So values begin to shift and change. I listened to elders, and we'd sit around the campfire at our men's retreat. I would listen to young men talk about the new thing that they want to buy and the, and the work and the overtime and trying to get ahead. But then I would listen to the elders, and, and many times I'd have the elders speak to the younger men. And, and almost without exception, what they would begin to talk about from their heart was family and God. Why? Because they have already moved out of a certain season in their life and their values had now shifted. They had now seen the importance of relationships and love and friendship, companionship, and no longer were things so important. So now in trying to accumulate things, they were trying to make sure that they maintained friendships and relationships. So the question is, would you rather have an ounce of gold or, or a gallon of water? Every one of us here today would say the gold, no question. I probably would. But ask a man lost in the woods suffering with, suffering with dehydration, and he'd pass on the gold, and he'd beg for the gallon of water. Everybody say value. Gold is of no value to a man dying of thirst. It was reported that 11 millionaires went down on the Titanic. Major A.H. Pynchon left $300,000 worth of money, jewelry, and securities in a box in his cabin. The money seemed, mocking, uh, seemed to be a mockery at the time, he later said, because I picked up three oranges instead and headed to the lifeboat. Value. What's of value to you? Where do you place your values? Proverbs 21.2 says, Every man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart. So we see here that we have this ability to shift and consider our values. Jeremiah 17.9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You see, Proverbs and Jeremiah both show me that I can't trust myself when I go to pick my values. My heart is deceitful and wicked, and, and only God knows it. I can't trust myself. I can't trust my own sense of fairness, my own self-imposed values. Our values may shift and change depending on our circumstances. That's why we must find our values in Scripture that never changes. George Gallup, famous for the Gallup Poll, says, 
Church attendance alone makes little difference in people's ethical views and behavior with respect to lying, cheating, pilferage, and not reporting theft. For example, equal proportions of churched and unchurched admit to overstating income on their tax forms. You see, it's not just church attendance. Church attendance alone, attending church makes you no more of a Christian than sitting in your garage makes you a car. There's got to be something that changes you and molds you and shapes you in the presence of God and in the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 14 says this, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned, and that from a child that hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. There is no wisdom that comes on our own. I know it's easy to come to church and to, and to, and to see us here and think, I, I, these people are, 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 I can never achieve that or attain that. Whatever your perception may happen to be of us, but you don't know where we've come from. You don't know the journey and the time frame that it has taken for us. You don't know that in many cases it has very, been a very slow, incremental, and even at times painful struggle of change. And so don't be deceived in the thinking that you can walk into a place and just determine that, man, these people have always had it all together. Some of us still don't, but we're still working towards it. Why? It's having a relationship with Christ. It's having a relationship, an ongoing relationship with Him. It's also having a relationship with His Word and daily letting His Word chip uh, chip away at us. Don't think that some great, beautiful sculpture that you ever see just happen in one explosion. Understand this, there were some big chunks of a mallet and a chisel that took some huge pieces off of that sculpture. And then it went to a smaller mallet and a smaller chisel and a smaller mallet and a smaller chisel until the fine tuning began to take place and maybe even ending with sandpaper or something that was just so microscopic that actual dust is coming off of the thing. That is our lives. But it is constant and it is relational. These holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture. Everybody say all. In the Greek that means all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, man humanity, not male, man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Everybody say value. And so we see in this the value of Scripture is doctrine. Doctrine is a good churchy word for teaching and learning. Reproof means to have proof, evidence. Of something. Correction. To correct. It also has the indication of to straighten up again. We used to hear some of our elders say, you need to straighten up and fly right. You need to straighten up. You need to pull your shoulders back. Figuratively. It's, it's, it's stand up. Stand tall. Straighten up. Do the right thing. Instruction in righteousness is instruction in being right 
and doing right. It's not just a matter of being caught doing the right thing. It's a matter of trying to be right. If you are right on the inside, you will typically do the right thing. I don't want to just do the right things, but be wrong inside. And so righteousness has the connotation of you are a person that typically is following Scripture and, and is allowing God to mold and shape your life and to do things according to His standard of right, not just what is legal in our society, not just what is acceptable in your family, not just what you determine in your own heart is the right thing to do. But what does He say? is the right thing to do. I find that what I think is right is almost always the opposite of what His Word tells me what the right thing is. You ever had somebody use you? There's only one thing worse than being used, that's being despitefully used. That means they enjoyed it. They were, they were okay with the pain that it caused. They just despised you. They, they despitefully used you to get whatever gain they could out of it. Can I tell you what all of us would feel like would be okay in those circumstances? Different levels of payback, probably. Different levels of exposure. But his word says, pray for them. And that doesn't mean pray that they'd be run over by a gas truck. I prayed for him. Oops. You pray that God would bless them. First shall be last, last shall be first. Another great scripture. I could go on and on how the economy of God is so different from my flesh and my humanity. But this instruction, this Word of God gives us instruction in righteousness, instruction in being right and doing the right thing. Somebody, we, we, we call it being an extra mile person. Go the extra mile. If somebody asks you to go a mile, go two. Somebody asks for your jacket, give them your, give them your, ask them for your coat, give them your coat and your, your, that, that inner jacket as well. Give them, give them both. Go, go the extra mile. That's the Word of God. It's hard, though. So the question is, as we're going into values looking at this year, what are we going to place our value in? What is our, what is our personal values? What are values that are, that are in my core and in your core and in the core of what we're going to teach and what we're going to believe and what we're going to, going to try to be as a church and when we consider ourselves believers? What is that going to look like? Who are you? Who are we as a church, as somebody that says that we're believers or we're Christians or we're followers of Christ? Can we say we're just Christians but then just be like everybody else and have the world system? Our, our view of, 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 of what is right and what is good and what is benevolent, what is kind, what is modest, what is not, what is acceptable, what is not... What do we stand for? Who are you as an individual? Who are we as when we say we're Christian or we're believers or we're disciples? What does that mean? Does that mean anything to the world or does it just mean that you're a member of a church? 
Or can they see that you're different? Is there something different in you when, the, when people that you work with look at you and they, they, they examine you and you watch how you handle uh, uh, when you got passed over the promotion because of some reason or they, they watch that, that things weren't going well for you or they watch you handle an illness or sickness and they see that there's something different in you. What is that in you that makes you different? What makes you salt and light to this world? You're probably not going to get it in your own heart. I certainly can't find it in my own. Well, pastor, you're such a nice guy. You're this, you're that. Mm. Yeah. You take 40 years of God out of me, and I have no idea what I would be. Well, but I had good parents, and, and my parents you know, raised us well, and yeah, yeah. That, that, and that helps. That helps. But you have no idea what you're capable of being godless. Without God, without conviction, and what you're able to justify in yourself. What do you stand for? What do we stand against? What are the things that as a church we stand for and we're going to try to do and try to be in our lives, with our neighbors, in our community, with, with people that come that are guests at this church? What, what, do we, what do we stand for? What do we stand against? And why? Why do we do what we do? Why don't we do certain things? What are our guiding principles? What is important to us? How do we determine our priorities? What are our boundaries of what's acceptable and what is not? What common ground should we have with all believers? And what are the differences between our individual preferences and our, convic and our convictions? What do we stand with the world on certain things and certain things we stand against the world? in some certain ways. And then how do we stand against the world without being so combative or ugly about it that we can stand on principle, but then they still simultaneously, although we stand against certain things in principle, they still can feel our love for them. How do we stand against sin and yet simultaneously love the sinner? How do we, how do we navigate through that? How do we do that? There should be biblical values that govern our actions, our God-given core principles that guide our decisions and how we process them. Our core values determine our identity. Your core values determine who you really are, not your title or position. Well, I'm a dad. It's not your values. You should have values as a dad, but a dad doesn't make you have values. Well, I'm a man of God. That doesn't determine your values. Me being a pastor doesn't determine my values. There's pastors of different, different religions, different denominations, different, different things. You can call yourself a pastor. You can get probably some kind of certificate in the mail. But it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't develop and make you who you are. It's your values. Where are you placing your values? I understand one of my values is I'm, I'm constantly caught in this position of being called and being a pastor between trying to deliver things that are helpful, beneficial, and palatable, uh, uh, presented in a way that you can understand and accept it, at the same time making sure I'm answerable to God that is saying, here's my word, you can't pick and choose what you give. This is my word, you're a steward over my word, you can't just preach just certain sermons that you think will make you popular. 
You also can't take my word and just beat people to death with it. You also can't just be so nasty and ugly about it that anybody that comes to the church that may be in sin or struggling with sin, that they don't leave feeling like they're just a total failure. You have to present my word. You see, my value is I'm caught always in this position of trying to deliver the, the, the pure word of God and do it in a way that is, that is right. And knowing that even Jesus said to his disciples, many of you will be offended at me. So I understand that, that sometimes the Word of God is going to rub us wrong. But if we understand our values, we understand we are trying to mold this flesh into His values, so at times it's going to be tough. Your core values will follow you into your title or position, but it is not your core values that define, uh, but, but it is your core values that define who you are. Positions and titles can come and go in an instant. And so we have to find out who we are. What do you believe? What's important to you? What values govern your decisions? How do you know if you're being consistent? What determines your life goals? How do you decide what is right and wrong? Do you value things or place higher value on principle? I heard somebody say years ago, and I think it's a very good value to have, use things and love people. Don't love things and use people. I think that's a great value. Do you have any absolutes, or is everything subject to change depending on circumstances? What do you consider moral, and what is immoral? We follow the law, but... Something becomes legal, does that make it okay? In Nevada, there's certain things that are legal. Does it make it moral? They're passing more and more laws all the time just to try to get more tax dollars for our state. It's just a matter of, I think it's just a matter of who can, you know, if you can make a good enough argument that, that, morality, you're going to see more and more morality is not going to be an issue because we don't want to judge morality. It's certainly not being taught in our public schools anymore. And so there is no right and wrong. It's just, you know, well, you just let your parents take care of that. And so we can't allow just what's legal to be what we consider our baseline for what is okay. What determines your moral compass? Um, I've used this story before because it really was a head game for me. I was, I was, I was putting a, a Martin house on our property at the back of our property. And I live on a hill. And if you were to look out my back door, you would see that we have a hill that comes down towards the house, but it comes this way. And this way. So there's like two angles, not just straight at our house or just straight away from our house. It's at an angle towards this way. So I get up there and I get my post hole diggers and I'm digging a hole. And uh, I'm setting this, uh, uh, this pole in the ground and I, and I put a couple two by fours in, in each direction just to, just to try to make sure I got this thing right. And this thing looked crooked and so I'd get it straight and then I'd go on this side because again I'm dealing with several angles here and then I'd look at this way 
that's not right. So that would fix it this way, but then I'd go back to over here, and it, it would be still off. And, I, and this thing was messing with me. Now, um, when I worked for a few years with the phone company, climbing telephone poles and setting telephone poles and all that comes with that, we learned that at some times, if we didn't have a level on us, we could look at the nearest house, and we could, we could look at that telephone pole and line up with a house because we assumed that most houses were going to be plumb or that they were going to be level. And so we would line up that pole with a distant house or a close house this way, and then we'd find another house over here. We would line up that pole, get in a position, line up, and then we would call it good because we didn't always have a level. But what I did is I lined that up to my house, and it was like that thing was lying. There's no way that can be straight because this hill is fairly extreme, and it just... It just, I couldn't make sense of it. So I went to the garage. I got my old mahogany uh, Stanley level. And I went out there and I put that thing on that birdhouse. And I got that level straight, <clears throat> straight and I stuck a board on each side of it. <clears throat> went over here, stuck the level on this direction, and stuck my boards there and got it straight. I'm telling you, I argued with that level for 15 minutes. Because when I would step away, it, in fact, if I recall right, I actually walked down to the house to make sure my house was even straight. <laughs> because I walked down there and I could not, that thing looked so whopper-jawed, that thing looked so lopsided, looked so far out of square and out of plumb, I, I just, but here's what I had to do. I had to find something that I could trust because it didn't look that way to me. I didn't, I, it didn't look level to me. It didn't look right. Everybody say, look right. We get in trouble sometimes when we're trying to look for something that's right in our own eyes. And so in my own eyes, I, I, that thing, even when I stuck the level on it, I, 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 it just did not look straight because of my current condition, because of the landscape of where I currently was. If you're not careful, you'll be in a crisis and your values will change. You'll be in love and your values will change. You'll be in chaotic hormonal imbalance and your, your values will change. Or you can call that lust if you want to. I just, I just thought I'd make it sound a little bit more professional. Somebody can do you wrong and you can justify something. You can be financially strapped and your values change. What was totally wrong before now, well, but I got to put some food on the table. I don't really want to take this job, but I don't really want to do this or say this on my taxes, but. And so there are times I've had to learn that I've got to have something that I can trust because when I look at my landscape, I can all of a sudden start to justify certain things. So my value has to be, I have to have a level. I have to have something. I have to have a compass. I have to have something that when I'm turned around and I don't know which way is up and I don't know what's going on, I have to have something that I can hold on to, that I can look at and say, I'm going to trust this because I can't trust my own eyesight. I can't trust the landscape around me. I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my emotions. I've got to put my values in something that, that I, can, I can bet has stood the test of time. It stays true no matter what the landscape or the weather or the location 
The Bible stays true and accurate and right no matter what. Worked a trade show a year ago where a young lady was telling me about her current feeling of marriage and was going down this road of this equality thing. Now, can we just settle this? Men and women are equal, but we're different. Is that okay? Is that offensive yet? Women have the capabilities of doing things that men we can never do. They're emotionally wired in a way that we're not. And the men said, Amen. However, men, we're also wired in a way that the women are not. And the women said, My kids would have a blood squirting out of their neck, running in from wiping out on their bicycle or something, come running in the house, and what am I saying? How did you do? What happened? You think she cares what happened? Come here, come here, come here, come here. Where does it hurt? What, what? Come here, let me, let, me get some, let me get something to fix this. How'd you do that? Well, I got to find out so they don't do it again. I'm supposed to fix things. I'm a dude. And so she's going to be, you know, I'm like, well, how do we, you know, let's get some duct tape and some, you know, some dirty shop rags out of the garage and bandage this thing up. And she just wanted to hug them and make sure they feel okay. We need both. We need each other. We complement each other. Embrace the differences. We are equal as humanity, but we have our differences. The Bible shows us this. So no matter what the climate is, where are we going to place our values? This girl at this trade show said, it was going on on this kick that, that there is no leader. And I said, well, I, you know, you talked earlier about the Bible, so I assume that you, you follow the Bible. So we went through a few scriptures. She said, well, but, that's, but that part doesn't apply to today. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, that's so old-fashioned. I said, okay, well, do you know what year that went out? Because I'd like to know. I'm a youth pastor at the time. I was like, I'd like to know, you know, like what time frame, what aura, what era did that particular scripture go away? And um, she said, well, it's just, it just doesn't apply to us today. Here's what, I, here's what I, and I walked away from that conversation. Here's what I had to figure out. I had to figure out that God made a plan so strategic and his word was so perfect, here's what I believe. That whether I live in America or Africa, Sweden, Bosnia, his word is going to transcend all of that. Yeah, but we're different cultures. Yes, I understand that. And our cultures, no matter what we we look like in some of our cultures and some of the way we celebrate things, all that. There's plenty of room for flavors, all kinds of flavors in this world. But when it's all said and done, all those countries I mentioned and all the others, there should be a culture of Christ that we're following too. That even though with all these 
diversities and differences that are beautiful and wonderful, that, that within those there's still going to be this, this stuff that's still going to transcend that. Not only in cultures, but in time frames. So if I'm buddies with Abraham Lincoln and I got a top hat, I know the visual's great for you to see me in a top hat, but whether I'm there or I'm in the cowboy days or I'm back in biblical days, sandals and a robe, or the future were George Jetson spacesuits, I believe that this word transcends not only nationalities, but it transcends time. It doesn't expire. If so, you got to tell me what date did that happen, because I can't just go with, well, this kind of culture has shifted. Shifted, yeah, it has obviously shifted away from God, but again, we're looking at values. I can't allow my values to, to shift. Now, I understand what I said about buying a battery and my values shifted. I'm talking about personal values. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about there has to be some things that we get some God core values that we're going to be looking at this year, that there's got to be some values that we have as this is what I stand on. It doesn't matter what century we're in. doesn't matter what country we're in. Here's some core values. The Bible stays true and accurate and right no matter what year it is, no matter what political climate, no matter what country you're in, no matter what color your skin is, your economic status, your level of education. It stays true. Patrick Henry said, I have now deposed all of my, excuse me, I've now disposed all of my property to my family. There is one thing more I wish I could give them, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that, and I had not given them a single shilling, they would have, have, they would have been rich. And if they had not that, then I had given them all the world, they would still be poor indeed. We find that that as we get older, those things become more important. I'm the old guy this Christmas. We just had our Christmas due to several circumstances. We just had our Christmas just a couple days ago, actually. I was as in awe. As kind of things went into slow motion around the room, watching the blessing of God, the laughter, the health, the blessing of God in my family. I was in as in much awe in that moment as I was standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon here just a few months ago. The beauty and the majesty of God creating that thing. I, Not the stuff that was there. But just the gratefulness that I had and have for what I was seeing in front of me. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What should your bodies be? Again, this is, if you've ever heard anybody say, well, God doesn't care about your your body, he only cares about your heart. You won't find that scripture. 
You'll find a scripture that says that man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. God has the ability to look on the heart. And through the gifts of the Spirit, if he shows you somebody's heart, he's able to do that through the gifts of the Spirit. But for the most part, we can't see somebody's heart. We see their actions out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. We see actions. We see their outward gestures. And we kind of get a glimpse of their heart by how they conduct themselves. But this Bible, this part right here, as I'm telling you, he's, he is concerned about our bodies how we conduct ourselves. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And now he goes on to say what they should be. So I'm going to ask you, if we don't have a value system, how do we, how do we have our bodies be holy and acceptable unto God? And then he goes on to say, that's your reasonable service. It's reasonable. And be not conformed to this world, its values, its morality, the things that it says are okay or acceptable. Be not, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That whole conformed means to be in the imitation of, to be the likeness of. In other words, don't imitate. Don't try to copy the world. Don't, don't, don't try to be like them. Don't try to worry about their fashions or their ideals or what they say is acceptable. And, and it's okay, certain things before marriage and, and all this stuff is okay. It's okay to test drive a, a relationship and all this stuff. Some of this stuff is, is the world's thinking. Be not conformed. Don't imitate. Don't be like them. That word means that. Conform, be like, imitate. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, a different word, both meaning change, but transformed is a, a literal metamorphosis. It's when that worm turns into a, that caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It is no longer the same creature. It came out of that creature, but it is not just a worm with wings. Its appetite changes, it's, it's everything changes. When it's in that cocoon and dies out to itself, it transforms into a different creature. It eats different things, its mode of transportation is different, it doesn't walk around like it used to, it couldn't fly before, now it can fly. It sees things differently, it's got a different, a different way of viewing things. When you, become, when you go through the new birth, that's what happens. There's a transformation, a metamorphosis that happens. And as we continue to walk with Christ, we continue to look through spiritual eyes and walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I can't be in the will of God if I'm living carnal, if I don't have his value system. If I'm, if I'm trying to walk with God according to my value system in my United States of America, in my white, in my whatever, in 2024, what, whatever identities that I may have, rural Ohio, I can't, I can't form my my core values based on any of those things. Matthew 22, 36 says this, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Now pay attention because this is the great commandment as the musicians begin to come. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor 
as thyself. Then he says this, and we can't just, just blaze past this part. These two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. We have to place high value on this for three reasons. Number one, Jesus says it. It's in red letters in your Bible. Jesus said these words. Number two, it's called the great commandment. Not a pretty good suggestion. And so with it being a commandment, we probably should take note of that. And thirdly, he said, all the law and the prophets, that's a lot of Old Testament stuff. That's a long period of judgment and blessing and cursing. And, and there's, a, there's a, so much in all of that, that whole Old Testament. That he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two. I think we better get that right. I think we need to place in this church, we need in every church should, but I can only speak for this one, it's the one I'm pastoring. We better make sure we get this one right. That we know how to love him with all our emotions. That the things of God matter to me. That's why the emotion in the service today. David gets made fun of for his worship and his wife even starts to make fun of him. Oh, wasn't the king glorious today? You made a fool out of yourself. In front of the maidens, in front of these people that serve you as king, you made a fool out of yourself. He was overcome by the fact that he was bringing the presence of the Lord back to Israel. The Ark of the Covenant. This represents the presence of God. He was so eager to live in and near the presence of God that when they brought that ark in, he just could not contain himself. You see, his value system was much different than his wife. Or wasn't the king glorious today? She was so stuck in her royalty role that she forgot who the real king was and she thought it was all about her and about them David even being the king understood it wasn't about him he was just a servant he remembered he's just a shepherd he was in this role but he's really the king Understanding that she makes fun of him by her worldview. But because of his view, he says, yeah, you're probably right. And I'll do worse than that tomorrow. You think that was bad. Wait till we get closer. Wait, wait till we really start to celebrate the coming of the Lord. And now, it just won't be these people that I'm coming into town. It'll be the whole, it'll be, be the whole nation will watch me do this. Bob Logan is a minister as we all stand. He's a minister and he 
wrote something on values for churches and he said values are often unwritten assumptions that guide our actions values demonstrate our convictions and priorities values are confirmed by our actions not just our words values are not doctrinal statement they are convictions that determine how our church operates values provide the foundation of formulating goals and setting the direction of the church's ministry Core values are the five or ten key statements that reflect the distinctives of the church. Key issues for determining your core values. If the church were really the church, what would we be doing? What makes you angry? What do you get passionate about? How do you invest your time and money? What's your biggest criticism of the church? For what do you want your church to be known for? And what are the essential functions of the church? Philippians 2 says this, I close, this is my last scripture. Starting verse 1, it says, If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love. He, he, now he's going to say here in a minute, so I want you to catch this, because he's going to say, let this mind, let these thoughts, let these mindsets, let these values be in you that were also in Christ Jesus. That's what he's getting ready to say here. So take note of these things that we should be. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife for vainglory, but lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death, death of the cross. What are our values? What did he show us that the mind should be in us? that we should have the type of love that comforts people. That should be a value that you should have. That there should be fellowship in the Spirit, there should be fellowship and camaraderie and friendship and relationship that we have one for another, that, that we should have mercy, bowels of mercy, that, that in our guts should be mercy, that we should be merciful people, that we should have this same love that Jesus expressed, that we should have togetherness on this mind nothing done through strife or vainglory that we should honor others more than ourselves to not be selfish but to help look after others and to let his mind that we see in Christ that we have to be like him it was a it was a cool thing years ago people had bracelets they had on shirts but it was still true what would Jesus do don't ever ask what would pastor do. I'm just a man. Don't ever ask some other what would Billy Graham do? What would Jensen Franklin do? What would TD Jakes do? What would whoever do? That's not the, the the goal. The goal is what would Christ do? How would he God, what do you how do you want me to handle this? We see in his he took upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself and he took up his cross. We're going into this year and and we're going to start going through some of our core values that we've spent a lot of time developing with some of our leaders here. I'm just going to open up these altars, though, for us to just say, God, 
I want your word and I want you to govern my actions. I want my values, my core values, my core Christian. Now, you can have some family values and some things, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not contrary to Scripture. But I'm just asking, is there anybody here today that that would make their way to this altar just to say, God, I want to make sure that my core values, my compass, my, my level is found in your word.